Welcome to the Get Good at Presenting podcast with Lee Jackson. Hi, and welcome to Get Good at Presenting, the podcast with myself, Lee Jackson. And uh, my very special guest this week is a great speaker, MC, comedian, and various other things is Jeremy Nicholas. Hi, Jeremy. Hi, how are you? Yeah, very good. Nice to chat to you, mate. Nice to chat. To build that bridge between Yorkshire and London, that's always a nice thing to do, isn't it? Oh, is that Boris Johnson's latest project, is it? Bridge to Yorkshire? That's <laughs> Something good. like that. The Northern Powerhouse. We haven't, we've not quite seen that in action yet up here, to be fair. But just a bit of news just in. I'm no, I'm no longer calling myself a comedian. I now call myself a humorist. Um, now, wow. you're probably thinking, well, that's good, because I never found him very funny. Um, but it's because I think people don't trust comedians to do corporate events. And so I had a, a chat with a couple of bookers and they said they wouldn't consider me if I was a comedian, but they'd seen me. And if I didn't call myself a comedian, they definitely would book me. So I needed to think of another word. So I found oh, the word humorist. I don't quite know what it means, Lee, but I think <laughs> it's not quite as funny as a comedian and a little bit more sensible and responsible. So I, I think see. it's like the comedian it, without all the swearing and the, the yeah. bad taste stuff. So, yeah, I'm a humorist. And, and possibly wearing a suit, yeah. Yeah, yeah. but it's tricky because people don't know how to spell humorist because you think, oh, has it got a U in or not? Because we have humor, <laughs> don't we? And Americans don't have the U in humor. But humorist, either way, doesn't have a U. So that's tricky. So I've picked, oh, a, wow. I've, picked a, I've picked a word which on Google people don't know how to spell and probably don't know what it means. So, yeah, that, that's going to go well for your, your Google rankings. Well done, Jim. Yeah, no, it's really good. I've thought it through. Excellent. But you, you're known as Jem, aren't you, normally to most people? Yeah, Jem, but it, my professional name is Jeremy Nicholas, and Jem Nicholas doesn't quite work. Jem Nicholas, it sounds like you're sort of stumbling over yeah, your words. But, yeah, Jem, because I just think Jeremy's a bit poncy, isn't it? And I think it's it sounds very aristocratic, and I went to a comprehensive in East London. So I just thought, when I, was, when I grew up in London, everyone called me Jell. You know, like Terry Venables, he's tell. Oh, I see. Right. What, Joe? Yeah. And then uh, when I went to university in Bradford, uh, they all called me Jezza, and I didn't really like that. So uh, my family have always called me Jem. Like, you know, in To Kill a Mockingbird, there's a character called Jeremy Finch, and he's called Jem. So I'm named after him. Wow, there you go. Went, went highbrow for just a moment. That was very Radio 4. I think yes. we've, uh, we've upped the level on this podcast immediately, Jim. Uh, See, I was trying to go for Jim to be a man of the people and not be Jeremy the posh bloke. Um, <laughs> I appear to have gone highbrow even in doing that, so I do apologise. Well, I think if you're quoting liter- literary works that are on the GC- GCSE syllabus, that's yeah. bound to go up, isn't it? So you, uh, It shows your level of education when you can't even spell GCSE. <laughs> <laughs> in our days, they were just called GCEs, weren't they? That's in your defence. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I, I did 16 pluses exams. They called them 16 plus when I was there. Did you? I think they were just trying out some new exams. I was definitely the guinea pig. Do you know what I mean? So never even heard of that. I did an 11 plus. Oh, there you go. So, so I think they were, were the precursor to the GCSEs. Anyway, we're here to talk about speaking. Yeah. And uh, you were just telling me just before we started there that you, I knew you'd done an Edinburgh show last year. But you actually got a new Edinburgh show coming out very soon this summer. Tell us a bit about that, Jim. Yeah, and you were asking me, is it the same show? No, it's a new show. It's uh, I do a new show every year. So last year's show was called After Dinner Stories from My Disastrous Broadcasting Career. And it was about 27 years trying not to get sacked by the BBC and other lesser broadcasters. Because <laughs> my background is news and TV reporting and presenting. Um, and then I always used to do sort of funny stuff in that, which sometimes would be frowned upon. And so I started doing uh, speaking you know, sort of in a parallel career. The, for the last 20 years, I've done both. And now I mainly do 
the speaking and this year's show last year's show was all disastrous stories from my broadcasting career this year's show is called what are you talking about and it's basically me ranting about all the things that speakers do when they're communicating in public so public speakers professional speakers corporates events just stuff that i sit there and think why, why have you done that what what madness <laughs> is this why have why have this company paid millions to fly people from all over the world for this three-day conference in dublin and and now they've, they've got the a bloke up there doing an hour keynote that's just rubbish and no one's listening they're all on their ipads what what man just send it out as an email why have you done that and then oh, it's but the thing is, because I MC a lot of events, you, if you say that at an event, people don't like it. They think <laughs> you're not there to be a critic. So I thought, right, what I'll do, I'll bottle it up. But, you know, it feels like it's got to have some kind of an outlet. You know, you can't just bottle things up. So what I've done is I've, I've written this Edinburgh show, which is basically just me ranting. And <laughs> next week I do the first of the previews in and around London and I'm doing Wiltshire here in Suffolk and a few other places but I did the very first version of this at the British Library uh, by St Pancras Station in London uh, in March and then a couple wow. of weeks ago I did the world premiere in Singapore. Wow the, so the yeah. the library gig was it very quiet did you have a microphone? The library gig was very quiet you know every time people laugh people went shh. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was in Great. the centre there at the theatre and, so, and so that was just a half an hour version. So basically what I did is I gave them like a lecture, which will then become the hour version with the jokes in. So I just gave them like the 30 minutes of serious stuff. But being me, I did mess about a bit and there were some laughs. Of course. Then, then I did a longer version, 45-minute version uh, at the Asia Professional Speakers Convention in Singapore as my world premiere. Because last year's show, I did the world premiere in Johannesburg. And there, yeah. the, the reason I do that is... If you do it a long way away from home, if it's a bit rubbish, no one will ever hear about it unless they've got the internet. And then they uh, might. Singapore has the internet, Jim. I'm pretty sure they're pretty hot on that stuff over there. Yeah, they do have it. I, I found that when I got. And I tell you what, just before I went on, well, so I was on after lunch. So I don't know about you, but in the lunch break, if you're on after lunch, you don't have lunch, do you? You just pace about, you pace up and down. I, that's what I do. And then I suddenly thought, right, what I'm going to do is go out there in front of 270 professional speakers from 28 different countries. <laughs> and I'm just going to have a rant about all the things they do that drive me nuts. And then I suddenly yeah. thought, not sure this is the best place to be doing this. Why have I, why have I picked this? And I, but then I just thought, you know what, just go for it. So I went out there and just gave it my all. And I got a standing ovation, which wow. was lovely. And I think what happened was all of the things that I pointed out that other people do, that they all laughed at, they all thought, yeah, I've seen people do that, never thinking that they ever do it. <laughs> of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so can, can, can you give us maybe two or three little examples of what a bad speaker does that, that's going to turn into an hour in your Edinburgh show then? Yeah, so um, any speaker that ever leaves the stage is a trainer. And uh, I've nothing against trainers. I've got quite a few pairs myself. <laughs> that kind of thing you know uh, and then i think in in the afternoon after i did that two speakers left the stage but and said i know jeremy doesn't like it when we leave the stage but you know i oh, just see. think that just from my broadcasting background the lights are on the stage the cameras are focused on the stage your screens on the stage why go into the audience you know if you want to do that do a workshop do a breakout room but if you're on the big stage stay on it drives me mad because i always sit down the front and then someone comes into the audience you've got to turn your head so oh, that, of course so i guess they're trying to break that 
you know, they're trying to, they're, they're doing it, I guess, for engagement, are they? Or is it just for, or do you think it's for stage effect? What do you think no, they're doing it for? Yeah, they're, try, they're trying to break down the wall, aren't they? They're trying to get in with the crowds, get down with the kids. Yeah. No, you're getting paid. If you're getting paid big bucks to speak at an event, get on the stage and look like you're earning it. You know, if you if you want to be in the audience, buy a ticket. <laughs> if you're being paid, get up there and do it. So that's obviously for a comic effect. I'm uh, sort of playing the part of quite an angry person because that's where the humour is. You know me in real life. You know that I don't really look down on trainers. But I, I would say probably 40% of my work is training. But yeah. it's quite funny to look down on them. Um, so I do that in that. And then other, other things, I, I talk about how people don't know how to use a microphone properly and how they get too close <laughs> to the speakers and that's not the sort of feedback you want at an event that sort of thing <laughs> very good and, yeah. and I, I have a real rant about acronyms you know you know how some oh, people beautiful. when when they do things then it's like so uh, i've got a five letter word and it spells out this and the f stands for this and the audience have not only got to remember what your message is they've got to remember what the word is and what they spell out and it doesn't <laughs> help them remember it all it does is help you remember it. it's just for lazy speakers who can't remember their talk so they've made something that spells something and that's <laughs> just rubbish and uh, they always try and pick a word that kind of fits in with what their topic is. And then yeah. you know you know that to make the word work properly, one of the letters isn't quite the letter you need. So they've done a little <laughs> bit of fun on it. Yeah, there's always something. Something's, and the thing that fits the letter, you know, Y or Z or yeah. something, is always some abstract business concept that they try and sort of crowbar into the talk, isn't it really, I think? Yeah, so my chemistry teacher, who was also my next-door neighbour when I was doing my A-level chemistry, and he used to talk about uh, when you were uh, examining an element, and you'd, he'd talk about, he was Welsh, you'd say cowslips, C-O-W-S-L-I-P-S, colour, odour, weight, like that, and it spelt out cowslips. And <laughs> right. that, that's when we did O-level chemistry. And then when we got to the A-level chemistry, he said, no, when you did O-level, we did cowslips, but really it's not weight, it's density. So really it's codslips. I just thought, what rubbish is this? With, who's ever heard of the word cod slip? So you've got to remember, oh, what was it? It was some sort of flower. Oh, cow slips. Yeah, but it, then one of them was wrong. Which one was wrong? Was it the D? Yeah. And then, oh, what did it stand for? <laughs> I'd rather just remember the things, wouldn't you? Color, odor, dense. I'd just remember a list. But my question is, Jeremy, and it's controversial, yeah. you have actually remembered that because of the acronym. Yes, I have. <laughs> but... He was my next door neighbour, so I got to know him very well. But I he, used, only... he, used to, he used to have it painted on the outside of his house. Yeah, but to be fair, all I can remember is the colour, odour, weight, and the colour, odour, dent. I can't remember what the SLIPS no, stands for. I see. So that hasn't think... quite worked, yeah. Well, let's think about it now. So I'm 56, and I was uh, 15 when we first did that. So a long time ago, we're going about 41 years. So what could the S have stood for? Solution, what happens if you dissolve it, maybe? L would be Solution, litmus. Yeah. Litmus to see how acidic. I, inflammability, P, wow. and another S. I don't really know. But, yeah, <laughs> I love acronyms. I think it could be an acronym used... of the uh, Tory leadership campaign right now, couldn't it? they all got those letters, haven't they? they yes. Actually, yeah. You could, there's, there's all sorts of things you could do with it, right? But, yeah, it, it is funny, isn't it? And I, I think when I'm coaching people, uh, as you do, you know, when you're helping people to do talks, it, it, it's often – there's things that speakers do mm. that no one ever talks about. It's like, you know, there's not only elephants in the room that you have to mention, which we all do as as humorists and and, and speakers and stuff. But there's oh always God, things that people are you suddenly a humorist now. 
Well, no, but I'm I'm doing it to make it sound posh, mate. So, Don't do uh, that now. I've got now. I've got all the Google SEO set up for that. Now you want, mate? You can have that one. That's yeah. fine. But yeah, I'm not a I'm not a comedian, but I'm funny when I speak. So yeah, what no, I, you are. You do make me laugh. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know what that's called, but anyway, but there is, there is a lot of things, that, and and I always find it fascinating that until your show, your Edinburgh show, which happens this August, I guess, mm. is uh, nobody nobody ever mentions them. So, like, and obviously one of my big beefs over the years has been bad PowerPoint. Mm. It, it was just perfectly standard that everyone's PowerPoint was terrible, and nobody yeah. and nobody was mentioning it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think well, what happens is people just copy other people. They just go, well, yeah, I, I don't think this, I don't really like it, but it seems to be how everyone does it, so I'll just do that. Well, mm. why? Don't do it like that. So you've got to be careful about who your role models are, really, haven't you? That's what you're saying. You've got to be careful who you imitate in some ways, because we all have people we look up to, mm. but ultimately those people can be flawed as well, you know? Yeah, and so people will often come to me and they'll say, uh, I, I, I tend to... Do, do the same as you, sort of coaching people on speaking, but then also the, the very deep niche of adding humor to presentations because yeah. that's really my area. So often people will come to me with, with a talk, you know, and it'll have all the acronyms in and it'll have rubbish slides with far too many words on and stuff like that. And they'll go, yeah, I've got my talk. I've nailed it. I just need some help with the delivery. And then I'll look at it and I'll think, well, I can help you with that, but it's rubbish. <laughs> So why don't we just pull it to bits and start again and get rid of all the silly acronyms and make the slides better and get more pictures in there and make it a little bit chattier. Because yeah. most people, because they don't do much speaking, they just do it like they remember their headmaster at school doing it in assemblies or something. You know, It's very, very dated. Or, or yeah. when they see Uncle Tom at a wedding, you know, and it's just... Yeah rubbish that you'd see in a golf club or an episode <laughs> of the good life in the 70s you know because well, um because i because i know you a little bit one part of your uh one part of your business is doing after dinner talks you do those you still do those jim after dinner yes yeah, so I'll, I'll just i'll just run through what my my thing is so Please. keynote speaking on communicating in business so how yep. to how to have impact so that's that's like my big thing MCing has been just a regular over 20 years comparing events after dinner speaking which is a bit like keynote speaking except they, there's no value to it there's no message it's just fun um the humorous stuff which is even more fun and um sort of longer form doing an hour show rather than a half an hour show and yeah. then the coaching stuff and then the specialist one the niche one is tickle my keynote which is just a name i made up tickle my keynote for when people have got a talk and they want it to be a bit funnier yeah so they come to you and help you with that so yeah so typically i've done that with quite a lot of sports people that you know have a message but are not particularly good at getting it out or they they just want it to be funnier or chief execs at, at firms that realize that, that a lot of their staff are going to be bored so could i just punch it up a bit and when i say punch it up i'm meaning add punchlines rather than yes anybody <laughs> yes understood understood yeah. so you so we have on a previous episode had john hatauka john hatauka does some after dinner talks and um, you must have had some you must have seen some horrendous after dinner awards from, from john type hatauka, ceremonies. Yeah. no i have seen some terrible john hatauka talks yeah <laughs> I have, but I did once sit next to John Hetalka at a very drunken dinner, and he calls himself the laughter dinner speaker. Yeah. 
And he's, you know, he's really a magician, isn't he? And a motivator. And I said to him, that laughter dinner speaker thing that you've copyrighted, I should have that. That suits me better. (laughs) And after a few drinks, I managed to persuade him that if he ever died, I could have that thing. And I I drew up, I'm terrible with drink. I don't hardly ever drink, but this time I'd had a a, a spot to drink. And I I made this contract on a napkin. I, nice. John Natalka, promised Jeremy can be called the laughter dinner speaker if I die. And I got him to sign it. And I remember going to sleep that night with the napkin by my bed thinking, that's been a good night's work. I've got that name now. <laughs> I mean, I hope John doesn't die because he's a good friend. But if he does, I've got that name. And so then when I woke it, up in the morning, I put my glasses on <laughs> and, and he'd signed it Mickey Mouse. Oh, that's special. I don't, that's think, special. <laughs> I don't, think, I don't think that's legally binding. No, I don't think it is. I don't think Disney Corporation would find that legally binding, no. Uh, oh. Anyway, so I didn't really listen to your question. I just heard John Atalka and I thought, oh, I'll tell that story. <laughs> what was your question? Well, I was, I was, just, I was just I was looking, for, I guess, for some after-dinner horror stories, really, because it is a particular niche, isn't it, for people speaking after dinner. Mm-hmm. I've done it, I think, twice, but I would, I'll do them, but I don't really want to do them because I've never done corporate ones. They've always been like school after dinner things or award ceremonies. But because traditionally people have four or five pints and it, it becomes pretty leery, doesn't it? After dinner yeah. talk. Yes, it can do. I don't think I've ever had one that uh, I've you know felt physically threatened. But I have had quite a few friends that have said that they have. They've had bread rolls thrown at them or drink thrown at them. Wow. I've never had any of that. But I think that's, you know, because... Um, I go for the more upmarket gigs. <laughs> but yeah, you go for the, gig, the gigs in London, not in Batley. I understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I've I have been to. I've played tennis in Batley. Well, there you go. Don't think, don't think I've ever done a gig there. Um, no. But yeah, no. I'd, I mean, I don't ever want to name any of the people, but it it can be quite tough. Uh, not yeah. so much the after dinners; they're not too bad. But award shows have got very boisterous. So ah, I think right. I did my first award show in about 1994 and they were always quite good natured. And then in about the last 10 years, since mobile phones came in, um, particularly, you know, if a table wins an award, because usually the firm will buy the whole table and they'll say like small uh, enterprise of the year, it's Wilkinson's and Sons and they, Wilkinson's and go, ah! and then they come back to the table with their trophy and everyone takes pictures and they're all chanting and and they don't listen then to the next award. So as the oh, MC, okay. you've got to try and shut them down. And I, I have seen some very bad award shows where the MC has lost control. And oh, has, wow. And has just shouted at the audience to shut up with a few swear words in between. Oh, I see. Yeah. But thankfully, that's never happened to me. I've had some quite noisy ones, but it's, it's all gone quite well. Yeah. That's fantastic. So uh, on a previous episode, we had Steve Bustin as well. Steve was a broadcaster, mm. uh, journalist and broadcaster, similar background to yourself. But but you you did all sorts. You did um, BBC, was it BBC London you did? Uh, yeah, so you, I, started, I started at BBC Radio Nottingham for three years there. Then I did BBC London. I presented Breakfast Show. We got a Sony Award for that. Then I went to the BBC World Service and hosted The World Today, which is a very serious news program at weekends. Yeah. And I did uh five live i was regular stand-in for adrian charles and uh, oh, oh hello sorry about that um so, so one uh, of your critics yes one of my critics um i did the afternoon show i did the uh saturday morning show on five live i i wrote quite a few shows i wrote a show called sick as a parrot which was a comedy sports quiz which ran for five series on 
uh, BBC Radio 5 and then transferred to Channel 5 on TV. Oh, that, was with, that was with me as the question master and Stuart Hall and Kevin Day as the captains. That was a show where when we did it on radio, Stuart Hall was the captain the whole way through and the other captain kept getting famous and kept getting replaced. Mm. So we started off with Alan Davis was the first captain and then he got Jonathan Creek and QI. So he moved on. And then we had Phil Jupiter's. And he oh, got never okay. mind the buzzcocks, and, and they all just kept getting. And I never really did. And that's that's really why I wrote last year's Edinburgh show about everyone I that I worked with got famous. And I did I did a, a show on Five Live called You Cannot Be Serious, and we had Carolina Hearn, yeah. who came in and piloted Mrs. Merton as a guest on that. We had Mel and Sue doing sketches when they were just out of Oxbridge. Wow. So uh, so last. Last year's show was basically about being the eleventh most famous BBC Jeremy. That was that was the slugline for it. Yeah. So you worked out that you were the eleventh most famous. Yeah, and I did the show in Johannesburg, like I said, and this woman uh, on the way in, because um, I just used to greet the audience on the way in. They're not meant to do that, but I just find it's quite a good icebreaker, and they don't expect yeah. it. And this lady said, "Oh, you're not the BBC Jeremy I thought you were going to be." <laughs> I said, oh, I'm sorry about that. Who who were you expecting? She said, no, I can't remember his name, but he's not you. He's tall and good looking. <laughs> very much. And it turned out to be Jeremy Vine, who is tall. Oh, is he? Okay. He's tall. Yeah, Jeremy Vine. Yes, very good. Wow, so you've had, you've had quite a career, really. So you flirted with, obviously, there was that's kind of entertainment, really, not just broadcasting. That's kind of entertainment, isn't it? Um yeah, so I, all the while I was doing the sort of day job of the news and current affairs presenting and reporting, I, yeah. I started doing the light entertainment stuff. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, so I wrote Sick as a Parrot. I wrote You Cannot Be Serious. I, I was on a few guest appearances. I was on Call My Bluff. I was on Noel's Telly Years. Yeah, quite a few sort of light entertainment type things, especially on Channel 5. I, I was one of the launch presenters on Channel 5. Yeah. And there was quite a lot of... Um, stuff to do with sport and light entertainment I, I hosted a show called turnstile every saturday morning on channel five which was me and chris hollins you remember chris oh, hollins yeah. who won won strictly very yeah. good wow so, so do you ever so when you're on stage now you know as a speaker or, or as a host or whatever you're doing do you find that you've used some of that experience in your current job because i always feel i've used some of my past experience but because have you? Because you were doing some live stuff, some pre-recorders, some TV, radio. Do you feel like that, that that's part of training for you being on stage as a speaker now? Yeah. So often people say about me as a speaker that I'm very good at thinking on my feet. Well, if you've hosted a live radio show five days a week, you know, for a, quite a large portion of your working life, you're bound to be quite good on your feet, aren't you? <laughs> um, so I'm not one of those speakers that does a keynote talk that's 40 minutes that's the same every time. When I do a keynote, the first five minutes will be just to do with stuff that has happened at the conference so far or or to do with yeah. the town. Where If I'm the opening speaker, it might be to do with the town we're in or something. And the last five minutes, yeah. again, will be stuff that has been reaction from the audience. So it's only the middle 30 that will be the solid keynote bit because I always like to make it a bit bespoke. When I first started doing speaking, it, it felt like cheating to do the same stuff every time. Because oh, okay. On radio, you'd go in every day and you'd, you'd plan a new show. Yeah. You know, we'd do a three-hour show and you'd have planning meetings, you know, if it was breakfast the night before or if it was drive time, you'd do it during the day and you'd work out what you're going to say. But a lot of it would be breaking stories. You know, you'd, you'd set stuff up, but then if it was like conservative leadership thing at the moment, you know, and you've already got something set up, then you you 
unset up the 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 sort of holding item to put in the breaking story so i've always treated every mm. presentation as though it's a live 24-hour news program with breaking stuff happening all the time brilliant and, uh, you know people do look at me like how do you do that and i and i always think i can't not do it it's just you know <laughs> stuff stuff pings into my head i run a few filters to check it's not offensive and then i say it you've always got to you've always got to be yourself on stage and not try and be anyone else so just draw from everything everything you've got mm. did you not feel at times i mean people people sort of think you know oh, working for the bbc you know like steve Bustin, yourself did mm. there's almost like you know it's the hallowed ground of the bbc you know yeah. when you were in that situation did you still feel that you could be jeremy nicholas or did you have to be a special bbc version of jeremy nicholas well, so my first, when I used to present the breakfast show on BBC London, Greater London Radio it was called then, I had two bosses, Trevor Dan and Matthew Bannister, and they went on jointly to run Radio 1 after the after GLR. Okay, and, yeah. And famously sacked Chris Evans. Right. Um, <laughs> but I knew that every time I did something a bit quirky, Matthew would call me in and say, why did you do that? You know, you shouldn't do that. And Trevor would call me in afterwards and go, don't take any notes of Matthew. You keep doing it. That's why we like you because you're so, you know, it's, it's a bit like trying to please two bosses. And I, 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 I knew I was a good journalist, but I wasn't brilliant. You know, I wasn't mm-hmm. like Jeremy Paxman standard. I was good, solid at it. But, um, my, there was a guy who joined the BBC in 1987, a week before me, a BBC radio Nottingham called Mark Shardlow. He's one of my best mates. And he could just see a story like that. And I would be staring at a press release, listening to an interview, trying to work out what is the story in this. And I'd get there eventually, but he'd get there like that. But what I could do is I could find what the funny line was. So sometimes uh, I'd go okay. to him and go, Shards, what's, what's the story in here, mate? And he'd tell me. And then sometimes he'd come to me and can you, can you think of a funny line that just gives a payoff for this at the end? So I think you've got to play to your strengths. And my strengths were I was a good reporter, but I was a lot funnier than most. So. I tried to put that in. Now, now what that meant was that um, the BBC is always very good at nurturing talent. They realised, don't send Jeremy on the big political story or the big terrorist outrage because he, you know, he might be a bit lightweight for that. But yeah. give him the skateboarding dog or the <laughs> um, the face of Elvis Presley that appeared in the blue veins of a Stilton cheese. That was one of my ones. Really? Yeah. That, yeah. That's, face that of Elvis something. appeared in the blue veins of a Stilton cheese. Wow. And so instantly, you know, my head's going, okay, when he came back as a cheese, he didn't come back as a jailhouse rock fort. He didn't say, yeah. I just want to be your camembert. You know, and they, those things are flying out of me. Yeah, but yeah. Um, I can't be trusted with a serious story. No. Yeah, everyone everyone plays their, their style yeah. and their skills, I guess. Yeah, yeah so it's like in, you know, in football terms, I'm a, I'm a creative midfielder, but I'm not going to help tackle back in defence. Yeah, yes, yeah, because that's not why they've paid me. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm Paolo Di Canio, not Alvin Martin. Sorry to chuck in some West Ham references. <laughs> yeah, quite quite bespoke niche because I, I I don't really know who the people are, but that's fine. But uh, that's yeah. okay. Yeah. So uh, talking about football, you obviously big big West Ham guy. Big yeah. Um, so I had 16 years as the stadium announcer at West Ham. That's just great. And that's I was great. And well, I we had... were you just announcing the toilets, or did you have to do other things on stadium announcing? You, you announced the West Ham goals very loudly and the other team's goals very quietly. And then you announced the attendance and the substitutes and an interview, a legend at halftime. 
that sort of thing. Do, ah, the, right. do the halftime draw, all of those sorts of stuff. Oh, so you, you, so you met a few legends over the over the years, and that's great. Yeah, brilliant. So Trevor Brooking, Clyde Best, all the West Ham legends. Well, both of both of them. I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so you don't Brooking. like football very much, do you? You're more basketball, aren't you? If I seem to. Remember. Yeah, I mean, I, if I, I I do support Middlesbrough. Um, just because I'm from there and I, I go probably once a year with my brother-in-law, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I have, really have an interest really in football in Yorkshire, is there? So you have to go a bit to the <laughs> north east. Really have I have football. an interest in football. Yeah. I have to find out what Leeds is doing, otherwise you can't live in Leeds. You have to at least know what's happening, just so you can speak to people at uh, you know in train stations and the barbers and stuff. Yeah. And uh, and but no, I'm, I'm not. I'm not the uh, the fan that you are because basketball is is what I really love. Really. Yeah. I mean, when when you're a tall bloke like you, I suppose it was just natural to get into the basketball, wasn't it? Was yeah, it was thing. natural as a five foot nine, uh, chubby white guy to naturally be a basketball player. Yeah, yeah. So mate, I dream of being five foot nine. So, um... <laughs> oh, I'm probably five eight now. I think you shrink as you get older, don't you? So, uh, yeah. So, if you got a couple of tips, then Jeremy, with so a couple of tips, if if someone is listening to this podcast and they they have to MC a kind of work event. Have you got a couple of little MC tips? I'll get some of the tips off you as well, but there's a couple of tips if someone's got to present, you know, at a meeting or a, a staff away day. What are your little tips for make, running, the, running the ship as an MC or an event host? Right. So what will happen is the speakers, you'll say, please, can you send me your introduction, which is what you will read before they come on. Yeah. Not, not the start of their talk, but what you read before they come on. And say if there's six people that you're introducing, only one of them will actually send you anything. You'll, and you'll chase the others and you'll then get three of them and there'll still be three that you haven't got. And then on the day you'll say to them, have you got an introduction? And they'll say, oh, just say anything. Well, that's right. just that's just bonkers, isn't it? You know, you, you need a proper prepared introduction. So, and those that have sent you, it will send you their biography, not their introduction. So I always, I always chase them and say, please just tell me what you're talking, who you are, what you're talking about. Okay, and, and, and why we should listen something gives a bit of credibility and then and then your name it's literally three lines and then your name and that really does help you because otherwise you've got to do all that research yourself and chances are you're going to get something slightly wrong and the first thing they go well actually i wasn't the um the ceo i was the acting ceo of the northern division and you say, well, i don't care but why do, you know i've said that because you didn't write something down for me yeah um the second thing I would say to do with emceeing is always build up people before they come on. Don't take the mickey before they come on. If you want to do a funny line about them, do it after. You know, don't destroy their credibility before they speak. Let them do that. Very good. And then you come on afterwards uh, and do that. And and if you want one more tip, I always think. Um, that whenever you leave the stage as the MC, you need to leave to applause. So what will often happen is, supposing it, you know there's like morning coffee, so you've, you've had two speakers and you're now going to say, we're now going to take a break for morning coffee. What you need to do is saying, coming up after the coffee break, we'll have speaker number three and speaker number four, give them a big build up. Yeah. But uh, as you leave the room now, let's hear it for our speakers so far, number one, number two. And then there's applause and you walk off to that applause. It's not really your applause. You've borrowed it from those other speakers. But otherwise, what will happen is you'll go, well, thanks very much. We've had some great talks so far. We'll see you in, uh, shall we say, 15 minutes and uh, coffee's out there. Thank you. And then there's just people don't know whether to clap and you just sort of oh, shuffle okay. off. 
So you've always got to make it really clear when you want people to clap and, and make the speakers that have been on feel good and also create an expectation about the ones still to come. So that's really just my news broadcasting head on that does that. When, when you watch a, okay. news bu- watch a news bulletin, still to come, why this cat is a favorite at his local pub. And you see a picture of a cat drinking milk or something. Um, so you've always, <laughs> I, I hadn't thought that through some, something you've got to make them look forward to something. And you've also got I to recognize how, remind them of how good it was. Cause sometimes, you know, at the end of a day, people think, oh, that's been a long day. But if you remind them, oh, hasn't it been great? We had this. And then that person came and you, you highlight one thing from each of the six speakers. And at the end they leave thinking that actually was quite a good day. I'd forgotten we'd done all that. <laughs> yeah. So, great. I remember I asked for some tips when I was doing some PSA stuff before I was president and you, yeah. I remember you said always walk off to applause. And I always. Think that's a great tip, yeah. Really great tip that. And, know, I, and yeah, I still see people don't do it. Mm, yeah. I don't know it why. Just, it just helped to sort of, it just keeps that energy up, doesn't it? And, and stuff like that. And it helps that, on that thing. So that's some great tips for emceeing. And what about presentation skills tips? What about you, you know, when you're speaking, mm. you know, is, is, is there a couple of little tips you could just give people, that they just need to know when they get on a stage, you should definitely do this, this, and this, you know, is there a couple of things that you've learned uh, through all your experience? Yeah. So one thing is um, you've got to work out what the important words are in your script. And I know a lot of people think, Oh, I don't really have a script. I just say it as I see it. Well, I think do at least have a script written down somewhere. So I would write it on my laptop, a perfect version of what I want to say. I won't stick to that, but that's the perfect version of it. And then I'll print it out and then I'll get a highlighter pen and I'll highlight the important words. Okay. So I've just got the Wikipedia page up here for Middlesbrough football (laughs) club, because I was trying to think who would be a Middlesbrough legend that I would be a bit like, and I thought I can't rethink of any Middlesbrough players, but um, of course there's Janino and there's Ravinelli. They would be like the flair players. Indeed wouldn't they? And, uh, you know, uh, so I would be like them, not, you know, one of the boring defenders. I can't even think of a boring defender that Middlesbrough might have had, but I wouldn't be one of them. Yeah. So let's just have a look here. Um, Southgate, Southgate was sacked in October 2009 and replaced by Gordon Strachan. So what are the important bits in that? Well, Southgate, Gordon Strachan and sacked. OK, the October 2009 replaced. That's not important. But you'll you'll hear a lot of newsreaders, particularly late at night on radio, and they'll just get into a bit of a rhythm and they'll say Southgate was sacked in October 2009 and replaced by Gordon Strack. You think you're not really emphasising the right words. So, But if you've underlined it, Southgate was sacked in October 2009 and replaced by Gordon Strachan. Can you see how I've emphasised those three things? I see. Southgate, sacked, and Gordon Strachan. Because you're not going to remember October 2009 it you know it just is a little little fact but the important bits are who the people are and what what was the action thing in and the action thing was sacked so yeah always underline the important bits so that you okay. don't get into that rhythm of just doing everything like this and going up and down in the ring like a radio for comedy where they go down at the end and that's how you know it's time to laugh um underline <laughs> the bits and then the other thing is uh, that's something Stuart Lee talks about. Sorry, the comedian. He always talks about how Radio 4 comedies go up and down at the end. So, you know, this is the time to laugh. <laughs> the other thing is for if, you, if you're putting humor in a talk, for heaven's sake, stop at some point and let people laugh. You know, I ah, see so someone so make, put, put in some breaks yeah. at the right time. Put put in some pauses. I put loads of pauses in my talks. Some people say my pauses are the best bits. 
which is rude. <laughs> but if you don't pause, no one will ever laugh because they'll be waiting to hear the next bit and they, they'll be worried they're going to miss out. Uh, I see. So okay. just get to the bit that you think that's funny and pause and then wait two or three seconds. And sometimes you have to wait a bit longer, sometimes up to a minute. But people will laugh if you just wait for mm. about a minute, then they will laugh. I often show when I'm doing presentation skills, I often show the video of Margaret Thatcher doing her famous poll tax speech. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the ladies not for turning. And then she waits 16 seconds before she says anything else at that point. Mm. And they're laughing and nudging each other. And because she'd never, ever made a joke ever before in her career, really. You know, and she hit that and everyone was like, wow, that's really funny. And then, you know, and then she hits, you know, the ladies not for turning. And it's, but it was all in that pause. That's where the impact, if she hadn't paused, no one would remember that speech. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think she's a comedy hero to us all. Of <laughs> 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 all the people you could mention as a humorous speaker, Margaret Thatcher wouldn't have been the first one I think. Off. but you're, no you're right she was very good at composing yeah. but she was, was coached just, right was she was yeah she was coached by the by the woman who used to impersonate her what was her name um Faye um there was an impersonator that used to impersonate her and then she became her actual voice coach um okay so I'm thinking of Faye Ray but and then I'm thinking Faye Dunaway um but it's not any of Faye, those it's sort of a 1980s sort of you know, Rory Bremner, but there's a woman that was a woman. I've forgotten her name now. Anyway, I think it was always Faye, but anyway, she, like yeah, Browns. It's just, it's just, you Google it. <laughs> yeah, I Google it. Yeah, I'm always, always Googling Faye Brown. Yeah, that's who it was. Faye Brown. There you go. There you go. Yeah. So Faye Brown was involved in that, apparently. And then, you, you know, but she did go funny. So who'd have thought that we can learn about comedy from Margaret Thatcher? So there you go. Well, I think it's marvelous that you've mentioned me. Thank you so much, Mr. Jackson. <laughs> I did nothing like it, did it? Always, always a pleasure. I need Faye Brown to coach me. That voice was terrible. That was that's special. That very special. So, so lastly, yes, let's talk. Go back to your Edinburgh show, which sounds amazing, and I'm definitely going to try and get up there because I want to find out a whether I'm in the speech uh, because it's about bad speakers. So that'll be first, and then it's b literally is, a couple couple of mentions. That's literally all. <laughs> <laughs> but there'll definitely be uh, maybe one or two people that I may know as well. So that, that'll, that'll be the fun to sort of do that and find yeah. out, oh, yes, I think he's talking about uh, insert speaker's name here. No, I don't, I don't ever mention anyone because that would be cruel. But I do do that this bit what? about um, this Yorkshire basketball hip-hop star. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> No, I don't. I don't mention you at all. I understand. Well, thank you. So, so you can tell us all the blurb in a minute. Okay. The, the question about the show is that's pretty intense. So being a humorous comedian for one hour in Edinburgh, there's kind of an intensity about that. So how long have you been working on that? How long will you prepare for that? Because there's, there's more intensity in a comedy show, I think, than in a keynote presentation for a business, right? Yeah. yeah. So um, the last year's Edinburgh show took about a year to write. Wow. Um, but... When I say year, I mean nine months of umming and ahhing and writing bits and going, oh, I don't like that. And then three months of doing previews and knocking it into shape. And and it evolved even in Edinburgh. There was stuff. I remember that I said something on day 10 of 27 shows that I hadn't said before. Liked it and it stayed in. 
Oh, great. So this year's show, I started writing. So Edinburgh is basically the whole of August. In September, I started writing the show for the next year. And I got to Christmas and didn't like it. And mm. over the Christmas holiday, I tore it all up, changed the subject. I won't even tell you what the subject was, but I spent uh, okay. four months writing something that, of which there's nothing in the show. I then decided, um, I think I'd, t- I'd seen a particularly bad speaker at an event where I was emceeing. And I just thought, you know what, this stuff just falls out of me, moaning about, oh, why do they do that? Oh, and did you see that? And another thing. And it was just falling out of me. And I thought, why Why am I banging my head trying to write something mm. that I'm finding quite hard when this stuff is just falling out of me naturally? Why don't I just do that? And I literally, over two weeks over Christmas, just bashed out basically what would be the 10 learning points in the show. Um, and, then, oh, and then wrote the press release for it before I'd even written the show saying this show has 10 top tips and 47 laughs and please don't laugh more than that otherwise we'll never get through it now i don't know if there are 47 laughs but there are definitely 10 top tips and then uh, i hit upon the idea of um having slides and doing it like a powerpoint show i don't know if yeah. you realize this i know you're mr powerpoint surgeon well I'm, I'm not yeah that, 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 that's no, the old lee jackson really that's uh, the old lee jackson but yes i do have a geeky side to me that looks at slides in that way yeah yeah so it's it's a bit like me being an mc i do a lot more than that you you at some point in your life have done powerpoint surgery but and you're a lot more than that now yes indeed <laughs> but um i then the, the day i decided well like actually why don't i just do this with powerpoint and then it would mean that I couldn't do it at the venue I did it at last year. Last year I was at the Gilded Balloon, oh, which okay. is which is a great venue for comedy. Is there's there's four big venue providers, and yeah. the Gilded Balloon and the Pleasance are the two big ones for comedy. And then there's the Assembly Rooms and the Underbelly that are also very strong, yeah. uh, but they they have a lot more variety and dance and things as well. But the Gilded Balloon spaces are all black, what you call a black room. Yeah, which, you know, you just got a black curtain and on three sides, and then the audience. And the, the, you know, no screens or anything. Okay. So I went and found. I'd, I'd, I'd been to a show last year by this fantastic after-dinner speaker who's a doctor at the Royal Bolton Hospital, an oncologist. And he did a show called "Telling the Wrong Patient He Had Cancer and Other Hilarious Stories." Oh gosh. <laughs> yeah. And Dr. Kevin Jones, and he did his in a lecture theatre, part of the University of Edinburgh's Department of Medicine. In the festival, it becomes part of the Space UK's venues. So I got in touch with them and said, could I have that one? And they said, "Uh, yeah, oh, no, I don't think you can have that one. But we've got a a new one. It's a 120-seater. It's a banked auditorium. They've got voting pads on every desk, and it just looks lovely. So I went and had a look at that and said, yes, that's it. That's my venue. So wow. that's where I'll be. It's it's the, called the space at Surgeons Hall. Surgeons Hall Museums. If you've ever been to Edinburgh, it's a big tourist attraction. It's yeah. where they've got lots of cut up bodies and dissected things in in glass jars. Oh, okay. But none of that's in the show. No. <laughs> yeah. I've often wondered with Edinburgh how on earth they actually accommodate all the hundreds of shows. Like because it's because you've only got an hour, and then I guess the next person starts straight away. Do they on their show? There's no. Is there, you know, you, you you do yours at two o'clock or whatever, and then you literally have to leave and the next person's in. Yeah, exactly. So last year, my show finished 
uh, my show was one thirty to two thirty, and the next show started at two forty-five. Yeah. This year, I've got fifteen minutes again, and then my space becomes Doctor Phil Hammond, who again is a funny speaker. Oh yeah, I've worked with Phil Hammond. Yeah, have you? Yeah, yeah, I worked with him on an NHS conference a few months ago. Yeah, very funny, isn't he? Very yeah, good. good guy, actually, good guy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but the the five shows that are on before my show are all music acts. Um, I can't yeah. quite remember the names. There's things like the uh, the Carol King story, the Johnny Cash story. You know those sort of jukebox yeah. bio yeah. type musicals. And then I come on and do basically a, like a stand up lecture, I suppose. Yeah, or a comedy keynote or whatever you want to call it. But so you've got you've got the. Uh, yeah, I, I worked with uh, Jim Tavare, uh, the comedian, uh, a few weeks ago. Did he have a double bass? Oh, double bass. Yes, he did a bit of that. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. he's got this whole NHS story now. It was an NHS gig, and uh, yeah, because we have a couple of mutual friends. It was nice to work with him. But he did slides, but he brought his own little screen mm. with him, and he set up his own projector. And he and he, it was quite interesting. I've never seen him do it, do it before. So it was only a small little square screen, like an Instagram sort of picture, mm. and he he did it with. So his accompaniment was the kind of screen next to him. So he was almost talking to the screen, not in a bad PowerPoint kind of way, but he was using the screen right next to him to showing his injuries and all this kind of stuff. And it was that was quite an interesting way of doing it because it was because it was next to him. It was almost better somehow than being behind him. Do you know what mm. I mean? Mm. It's it's quite quirky. Yeah. So it's, it's yeah, so I hope the PowerPoint will be good then, Jeremy. Yeah, I mean, it won't look like PowerPoint. I'll just use it almost like as a backdrop. The photographs and stuff, yeah. Lots of photographs, yeah. And also, I think the worry is that if you have too much excitement going on in the background, people don't look at you. And for for it to be humorous, they need to look at you. So I'll use it very sparingly, and I'll press the blackout button to get them to come back to me. But just... You know, some things I want to illustrate, so there'll there'll definitely be some bad slides up there. Great. (laughs) To get people people laughing. Yes, I have a collection of bad slides. Uh, I'm happy happy to share those with you as as time goes on. But, um, yeah, the the black button works really well. I'm going to do some stuff on slides in in these coming in future episodes. But the the other way of doing it as well is uh, Richard McCann's done this, uh, our fellow speaker and lots of other people, is to do the fade to black as well. Mm. Mm. So, you know, so it's on there for 10 seconds and it just gradually fades out and then you're on to the next one if you need to go to the next one. So there's there's nice ways of using images that don't dominate your talk, you know. But I'm sure you'll work all that stuff out. It'll be exciting. Yeah. So, yeah. so t- tell us how people can get hold of you, Jeremy, and, and how they can find out about your show and stuff. Yeah, so to book Edinburgh tickets, just go to edfringe.com, edfringe.com, and just put my name in. I'm I'm the only person called Jeremy that's doing anything there this year, as far as I can tell. Whenever I type it in, it finds me straight away, unless it just knows that I'm always looking every day to see if I'm still on. And then my website is jeremynicholas.co.uk. So Nicholas has an H in it, and it's Nicholas, not Nichols. I'm always getting called Nichols. Probably 50% of the time I'm in- introduced as Jeremy Nichols. Yeah, you do have a you do have a someone else with the, your identical name as well, don't you? I believe. And, uh... Yeah, well, he's JeremyNicholas dot com, and definitely don't go to him. Okay, because it's don't a different person completely. It's a different person. He's an actor. He's not me. JeremyNicholas dot co dot uk. That's me. Okay, excellent, and you can find out all about stuff. Jeremy's a, a great guy. He does some brilliant stuff, and he can add humour to your talks. He's you got loads of stuff. You've even got a free kind of adding humour to your talk little sheet download thing. I've seen that as well, Jeremy. Is that right? 
Yeah, so, I mean, if anyone wants anything, just come to my website and contact me through that. I've got got quite a few PDFs and things I can send you. And I do a a weekly newsletter, which is very well received by people with just top tips on how to speak. And I look at people that have been in the news uh, in the week and, you know, who's done well and who's done badly. And that's if you sign up for my newsletter on my website, I send you a free copy of my book, which is called A Million Tips on Public Speaking, brackets, volume one close brackets because that that's just in there the lawyer said i had to put that in because they, between you and me there's not a million tips in that book really but ah. it could be the first few tips on the road to a million so that's why i've called it that i see i see i'm with you that's great well that's fantastic jimmy i feel i feel i've got loads of value out of you we've talked longer than i expected mm. because you're an interesting guy thanks for being so open and for sharing tips about emceeing about comedy being a humorist different thing and being a speaker so that's great and i'll catch you in edinburgh mate thanks cheers thanks for listening to the get good at presenting podcast with your host lee jackson if you'd like to know more about lee's work as a motivational keynote speaker and presentation coach visit his website at leejackson.biz that's leejackson.biz